Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship, and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week, we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Ben Fern. We've got some more words for the Words of Grace bingo, Paul. Um, Mum's made something for us. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking just now about um, a few people have said to us there are certain words that come up in words of grace bingo. Um, Hannah Sandoval. Our Lights for Christ Enabler. Very much a friend of the podcast. That is a words of grace uh, bingo tick. Paul also saying, I think you have some heavy tones. What are you reading at the moment? <laughs> heavy tones. Yeah. I do say that. Heavy tones, I? light tones. Yeah, what are you reading? Interesting. Marvel. I know Marvel's been off the agenda for a little while. I've restrained myself a bit with that one. Dave, you've listened to a few. Any ones that you can think of that's always out there? When I listen to myself back sometimes, and I do have to do that occasionally, I keep thinking, why on earth did you say that? I'm not sure, but the whole book question thing is the thing that was stressing me out before. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking, he's going to ask me what I read, and the answer is that I don't really read. Yeah, so I've been trying to find something to read just <laughs> yeah. so I can answer that question. So make sure you ask me later, because I'm, I'm ready. Oh, you're on point for that, are you? Some great new uh, book release that's oh, come I'm out. I'm not quite sure about that. But oh, okay. Make, sure you, make sure you ask. <laughs> I will ask. I'll definitely make sure we ask. But we're indebted to these, aren't we? So it's, as we're recording this, it's just before Valentine's Day. So they've, we've got these gorgeous cupcakes that have come in, love heart themed boxes. Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. This is just extraordinary. We've got a little box with a heart on the top with a chocolate cupcake inside. There's three of them. Yes. One for you, one for me, and one for Dave. There's some in the comms and learning office as well. Oh, is there? Yeah. But um, no, once again, we're... We're very grateful, but it's not a prerequisite for every single episode, although it's welcome. It's still. very, very welcome. It's fantastic. But also, I've had some welcome feedback from a listener recently, of course, as well. Yeah, Bethany, who I think is... Now, so do we say Dave will know because he's down with the youngsters. Oh is it Gen Z or Gen Z? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I have to ask how old she is. I can't do that on a podcast. <laughs> So, I think it's interchangeable. Is it? Okay. I could be wrong, but I think I'd say Gen Z, but I think you can say Gen yeah, Z. Yeah, so Bethany's been in touch to say how much she's enjoying the podcast and how relevant it is to uh, Gen Z, Gen Z people. So now I've made myself completely irrelevant because I have no idea. Thing is... Scone slash scone. With, with yeah, but I don't know what even what age Gen Z is. I think it's after 96. Oh, so, right. yeah, again, it can be a bit arbitrary, I think, if you're born after 96 yeah. up to... So, millennials before that, is it? Yeah, I think that's about 1980 So, to some of my kids are millennials and some of them are Gen Z, then? Yeah. Right, okay. And what's after Gen Z? Generation Alpha. Alpha. Oh, right. What age do they start at, then? Something else from, like, maybe 2016, to... maybe a bit earlier than that. Wow. Right. My niece it can't is... be 2016 as eight-year-olds. Well, yeah. Be okay. Like, my older niece. Okay. We... Generation Alpha, I think, yeah. Wow. But no, we, we're saying to Bethany and to everyone, we try and make it as approachable as possible, the podcast. I'm glad yes. that's sort of filtering yeah, yeah. through. But yeah. we negative or positive feedback, we always welcome yeah. to get in yeah. touch. Yeah, words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org. Please get in touch. Send us some emails. And as Bethany said as well, um, she suggested again a push for questions. So do send in any questions you've got for guests, upcoming guests or whoever. Yeah, we've got an Easter special coming up, actually, where we've got some um, proper grown-up theologians in the room. They're going to talk about Easter. We're going to do a Good Friday special and an Easter Sunday special where we really, in, in all seriousness, look into some quite uh, important topics around Easter uh, and different perhaps theological stances on that or matters of agreement and maybe some matters of, of difference and conjecture. And that's coming up and those will be released just before Easter. So if you've got questions around Easter 
and the significance of Easter in, in the calendar or in your lives, then send them in. We could ask some proper people who know about things. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be the ideas of two part, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Possibly yes. Monday, Thursday, and then possibly going out on Easter Monday as well, the yeah. second part as well. Yeah. Uh, but you've done a really good job of that, Paul, organising that. So what a morning, gloriously bright. Indeed. That'd be the title of it. Yeah, good shout. Uh, Dave, coming on to you, sorry. We're being <laughs> self-indulgent now. That's all right. Don't worry. So, Dave Lubbrook, welcome. Thank you. Centenary project worker, uh, youth and families worker at St. James Woodhouse and pastoral... Uh, manager. Pastoral manager yeah. as well. Uh, so, Dave, it's great to have you uh, with you. us. Dave is a big listener of the podcast as well. <laughs> very much a friend well, of the podcast. Well, he is very much a friend because yeah. I, we met and um, he, di- he didn't, didn't ask for my autograph straight off the bat, but he did make it clear oh, after gosh. a little while... <laughs> <laughs> he did make it clear that he listened so we were very keen to have him on was that the same sentence when i said i can't remember your surname because i just know he was podcast paul <laughs> <laughs> wow that's your new nickname from now on <laughs> yeah. uh, dear. but dave so uh, we have had step dobbs from before from Centennial yes. project i think it's a it's a real um cherished part of the dyson mm. strategy tell me a bit about Centennial project tell me about your role what does it entail mm. Uh, yeah, so Centenario Project um, was set up at the Centenario of the Diocese um, back in mm, 2015, I think, um, with the idea being of uh, investing a large amount of reserves that the diocese has got. We don't have a lot of reserves, but uh, to use some of those reserves to really invest in children's youth work, families' work, um, initially in the more deprived areas of our diocese. Um, so those churches that wouldn't be able to recruit someone on their own, whether that's um, just practical things like HR and employment um, or the support structures or the training um, or financial as well. Um, and that's where we we started um, working with deprived parishes. Um, I was appointed as a worker back in 2016. Um, I was worker employed number four because back then there was only a few of us so we could keep tabs on what order you were employed in. Um, now we've completely lost track. Um, and then in 2019, I joined the central team, um, working as an area coordinator, and then two years ago, uh, became pastoral manager. And so on a day-to-day basis, how does that work? I know you're saying off mic, you do sort mm-hmm. of certain set days uh, within the yeah. church itself. Yeah, so I do uh, two days in the week plus Sundays, working as a Centennial Project Worker in Parish. Um, so I'm a youth and families worker, so I work across all the different ages, uh, from toddlers to young adults. Um, and then I spend three days working centrally. Um, drinking quite a bit of coffee most of the time. Um, lots of meetings, um, mostly some great meetings with our workers and going out into the parishes and meeting line managers and incumbents and volunteers. And, and, like and the planning stage, so when you're putting on these particular sessions, especially mm-hmm. for young people, how much goes into that? Uh, quite a lot. Again, a lot of coffee um, and cake. Um, and yes, yeah, so I've been enrolled in parish uh, coming into eight years. Uh, I'm due to be finishing that role. Uh, in the next couple of months um and i started there as a youth worker because the church had really invested in children's work but had nowhere for those kids to move up to um so really invested in youth work circumstances changed in the church where i ended up taking on some family work as well um and so yeah running toddler groups all the way through running weekly groups um i'm in three different schools um i'm a governor at one of the schools one of the primary schools i work in as well um services all those sorts of things um most of my time thankfully i'm quite blessed that is face-to-face work i don't know if that's just because i've been doing it a long time that prep time is slightly more reduced so i get to spend a lot of time working face-to-face 
um, when I started this job and left my, my old job that I had when I was at uni, the bit I really missed at the start was just people. <laughs> because the first few weeks and months of youth work was sort of prepping, planning. Um, and I used to work with people all the time. And so that's something that I've always really wanted to do. Uh, in my parish role was to keep the admin sort of as limited as possible and spend as much time face-to-face -face with children and young people as possible. Has that been very much a calling on your life then, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time growing up helping in my home church uh, with children's and youth ministry um, and then working for the Keswick Convention, um, running some of the children's age groups there. Used to really love doing... Um, wouldn't have necessarily said I felt it as a call for, like, employment. Um, I wanted to be a teacher, and that was all I wanted to be when I was growing up. Um, and then I didn't get the grades uh, at my A-levels -level, to be a teacher, and I had to find a course through clearing very last minute. Um, and as I was doing my uni degrees, I sort of felt that that was more where God wanted me to be. Um, I'm not Anglican by tradition or by being brought up, um, so a job in the Church of England was a completely new thing for me. Um, I could give a lot of buzzwords on like Anglican words that were all new to me. Um, but yeah, it wasn't sort of that something that I ever planned as a career. Um, but as soon as I started it, I knew it was exactly where where I wanted to be and where God wanted me to be. You're in safe company here, I think, in terms of not <laughs> expecting a calling to work for the Church of England, but we've... We've all sort of come to that. <laughs> it's a safe, non-conformist space. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, you go. No, you go, carry on. No, just, just pulling it back just for a second. You mentioned that a Keswick uh, mm -hmm. convention. Just tell yep. me a bit about uh, what that involves. Keswick in the Lake District. Yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, the Keswick convention's got a real soft place in my heart. Um, it's where I met my wife. Um, we, I used to go with my youth group when I was a teenager. Um, our youth group and her youth group pitched 10 snakes to each other. Um and the rest is history uh, from that point of view. Um, so we used to go as, as a youth. Um, it was a great opportunity as a teenager um, to just meet with other teenagers um, and realize that you're not on your own in your small little uh, church. Um, and then when I turned 17, started volunteering on the kids team. Um, so back then it was called K for Kids um, and made some amazing friends uh, in the team. team there. Me and my wife served together and after a few years, we were asked to lead one of the age groups. So we led we led the threes to fours. Um, so sort of 70, 83 and four-year-olds every morning for a week. Um, was never the age group that I wanted to work with. Um, the first year that I ended up in that age group was a year that um, the kids' leaders decided to shuffle everyone up a bit. You know, you've been working in your age groups for the past few years. Let's mix you all up. Uh, and I had a bit of a huff and sort of dragged my bag across the floor um, like a moody teenager because I did not want to work with three and, three and four-year-olds um, and ended up absolutely loving it. Um, very much had to like go back to the leaders with my tail between my legs. Um, absolutely loved it and then was asked to lead that age group. So I led that for a couple of years until starting a family of my own and then circumstances didn't line up with holidays. But, but those weekends for teenagers mm -hmm. and youth are incredibly formative, aren't oh, they? Oh, massively. Times where you go away camping and it's the big... Yep. Everyone's focusing on it for the first yeah. few months of the year. You get there, it's brilliant. 
Yeah. They always come back with the song that worked really, really well in the big tent and yes. dies on a Sunday morning. We've yes. all had those moments. I've been, you yeah. know, I've been involved in those events five yeah. or weeks and everything like Coming that. Coming back and having your bubble officially burst <laughs> by having to stand at the front on a Sunday and say what you'd done at the week. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and just see everyone's blank faces, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, massively. Um, it was, yeah, I've, I go to Keswick at that time of year now, every year, even though I'm not serving anymore. Uh, we go as a family just because... So, yeah, so many fond memories, so many friends that we've made. Yeah. Spring Harvest, New Wine, it's yeah. in those sort of yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. Our been through that. So, week by week, though, mm-hmm. it's much more difficult, isn't it, in churches around youth and stuff, yeah. just to keep that work going yeah. and to inspire young people. So, yeah. you spend a lot of time pastorally mm-hmm. with, with Centenary Project workers. Yeah. Give us some flavor of, what, of some really good news stories that's out there, because... Yeah, the media around young people and youth mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is so obsessed with the issues. Yeah. Whereas we know in our own lives from our own children, our grandchildren and churches that we work with, there are some fantastic young people yeah, that really sold for God yeah. day in, day yeah. out. I mean, I think the first thing I'd, I'd say, you know, to anyone listening and thinking, oh, great, you're doing children's youth work in your church, we're not, is just remember that they are out there like they might not be in your church or you might not have many, but there are teenagers and children that are on fire for God in their own little spots. Um, one of the great things that, that I love about the Centenary Project is we do try and bring them all together when we can. Um, they're obviously on a slightly smaller scale than Spring Harvest um, and things like that, but the idea that we bring six or seven teenagers from one church and six or seven from another together at our hub events for them to realize that they're part of something bigger. Um, and and I've always loved my my youth ministry um, has always been quite secular in terms of I'm all about the relationships first, um, sharing Jesus with them through those relationships rather than deep discipleship sessions because that's just not the situation of ministry I've been in. Um, but then when you bring them with other people, you realize that actually I've been underestimating them. Um, and those times that I thought, oh, that we'll skip the God slot this week because they're just not there. And it, you just kick yourself because any opportunity to share Jesus with them, most of the time, they are receptive. Um, they ask the most random questions. Um, but yeah, um, and the idea to just bring young people together, even one or two, open a Bible, have a chat, pray with them, the impact that that can then have, you know, on the next day when they go to school and telling their friends and things is just just amazing i want to know what some of those questions are if you know them off off the bat oh (laughs) let me think you're racking our brains now um because they have children have no filter that's one of the great things isn't it we'll we'll just come out and ask those sort of questions straight away i suppose a lot of things a lot of them that i've faced quite a lot with my youth is things around because we meet in the hall and we look out the window in the youth lounge and you can see like part of the stone church it's always linked to sort of the church history and death quite a lot quite a lot of things about death and um you know dead bodies that those sorts of those sorts of questions um and then ultimately it always links back to the whole either who was jesus who was god were they real how do you know yeah exactly the sort of things that we think but very much the questions that lead in not necessarily to spe- to specifically answering their question although we do do that but just lead into a gospel introduction yeah. um, of who he is or more what he means for, for me or for whoever's delivering that talk yeah, and things like that. I'm proving that we're relatively normal people. 
and uh, teenagers at school now you, mm -hmm. you 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 work around schools you yeah, yeah. to do primary schools or uh, yeah both both yeah. what's it like for a youngster to be a christian in school today so people is is it any different to when ben was at school being a christian do you think is it is it the same is it just different you, I think it's, I think it's both. Up, you were brought up not yeah. that long ago being a Christian in school. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, not too long ago. Um, I, think it's the, I think it's both. I think it's just as hard as it was back then, but just different issues. Yeah. Um, I remember when I moved from secondary to um, to do my A-levels, I purposely went to a sixth form where I didn't know anyone because I wanted a fresh start. Mm. And the first person that introduced themselves to me bounced up the corridor introduced themselves and was like, oh, you'll have you'll have to forgive me. I'm a raving Christian. <laughs> and I just sort of put my head down and thought, oh, not another one. I've escaped these. Um, and that was a real challenge for me because I spent a whole year not saying, like, me too. I mean, I'm not a bonkers raving Christian, I don't think. Um, because I just wanted to blend in and not have all the issues that Christians face, and especially at sixth form. Um, and like your GCSE years is it's just a pressure cooker um, and for me the last thing I wanted was another pressure of having to what felt like justify my faith um, which is why I've, I've loved running Christian unions in secondary schools because it gives them just that that one lunchtime to feel that they can either not talk about their faith or talk about their faith without it becoming an interrogation and I mean I what I say to a lot of people now is interrogations are great um, because you can answer them. You know, you're, they're asking you a genuine question. Whether they're meaning to ask it to take the mick out of you or not is another matter. How you respond is then how they'll treat you. Um, and so, yeah, massively, there's so many issues facing young people. Um, there were so many issues facing young people when I was a young person. Yeah. Um, without sounding like an old man, obviously, social media and things plays a massive part in that now that we didn't have... Um, we could go home and sort of switch off from school, whereas it's a lot harder now. Um, but I, ju I just teach my young people to just be them um, and just be confident in, in who they are. And um, we said goodbye to some of my youth last week because I'm finishing my role. And I just remember saying to them, like, we love you for who you are, just the same way that Jesus does. Be you, basically, and don't feel that you have to conform or fit in. That's boring. It's not much different message to go into the world of work. No. And I think we sometimes sort of say, okay, it'll be fine when you mm -hmm. get to here. Yeah. But it isn't. We, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, of, of going into the secular workplace, journalism, engineering. It's the same. Mm -hmm. You have to, the only way you can survive in those situations is to be yourself, yeah. to be relational, to be honest and open, and just yeah. be you. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually people will respect that, irrelevant of your faith mm -hmm. aspect, if you're just who you are. So yeah. yeah, it is the same, isn't it? I mean, since I've been work in the working world, other than jobs at university, I've worked faith-based. So I haven't quite had as much of that in the in the workplace. But I remember working through uni and things like, um, I worked in catering and they'd give me a Saturday off but made me work a Sunday. And I'd be like, I'd much rather work the Saturday to the Sunday. Um, and it wasn't because of, oh, we'll book him on a Sunday because he wants to go to church. And I know some jobs you have to wear Sundays. But I was like, I'd rather work Saturday to Sunday. And they were always relatively understanding. So I've not had sort of the workplace pressure that I can see is around for people. Because um, I'm in a job where I talk about Jesus all day, every day. And it's great. <laughs> I think a big part as well about 
Gen Z as well as that. I think identity is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah, yeah. as you've mentioned, the the challenge is the same, but the issues are mm-hmm. possibly different. Yeah. But I think there is there is the potential to have a new openness about religion, perhaps mm-hmm. less skepticism than mm-hmm. perhaps millennial generations are sort of as a whole. Yeah, and I think whether from a personal faith point of view or not, I, I think religion's talked about a lot more anyway, quite often from the opposition of religion, but it's it's more of a front in the conversation in the first place, whereas sort of when we were younger, the issues were issues it, and the church was irrelevant to that sort of thing, whereas I think they all sort of merge together a lot more now because it's on people's radar a lot more. So let's leap back to the young Dave. Oh. Growing up... David, as I would have been known as a child. Uh, yeah. David, mm. very much... David at school yeah yeah and did you did you emphasize that as well or did you just no it's just just my dad my dad's a David as well and so he became a Dave so I was the David okay um and then when I went to sixth form and didn't know anyone that's when I became that's when I became Dave oh (laughs) the new me um because no one knew me so I could be the new me it was great but yeah little David David born in Sheffield yep schooled in Sheffield yeah whereabouts Uh, so Hansworth all right. Um, so I went to um, a small private Christian school, which sounds a lot more exciting than it was. Um, went there from, I think it was about seven. I went to a normal, normal secular school before that, mainstream school, um, for about seven, and that went all the way through till 16. So I was there the whole time. Um, in that time, my mum worked at the school for a period. My mum was the football coach. Oh, wow. Uh, that's cool. And then in my last two years, my brother was there uh, as a maths teacher. So that was... Your brother wasn't your maths teacher, though, was he? No. <laughs> they did a lot of timetable shuffling for that not to happen. <laughs> <laughs> the Ludbrook dynasty. Yeah, I'm not quite sure who would have come out of that the worst. Yeah. Um, so looking back on that time, going to a small Christian school is a particular style of upbringing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so... I- Growing up, I used to feel that I had the best of both worlds. So my mum's a Christian, but my dad isn't. Um, And growing up, that seemed perfect because I used to think that my mum can do the the Jesus stuff with me, but my dad will keep me grounded and normal. Um, And whilst that was kind of true, obviously not a day goes by now that I don't pray for my dad to become a Christian. But at the time, it seemed great. My dad was very supportive of church and church family, just not so much the faith element of it um going to a christian school was another impact sort of not to escape from christianity because it was in school um but yeah so i always always brought up in church um my mum became a christian because of my brother going to church with a friend um and asking lots of questions that my mum couldn't answer so my mum thought oh i best go to church and find these answers out had me and I was the child that would not let go of her of her leg so she had to go into Sunday school with me and that's how my mum learned um was learning bible stories at a three-year-old's level as a 30-year-old yeah that's fantastic yeah um so where where were you going to church at that point then so at that point we were going to um a church called Richmond Church um so an independent church um this side of Sheffield um I carried on there till I was, well, till we st- till we started a family. So I was there about twenty three, twenty four years. Wow. Um, and my brother's the minister there now. Oh, wow. the math teacher brother. Yes. Oh, wow. Sensibly left teaching for ministry. Um, is that? 
Is that a good swap? Yes. Yes, that's a good swap. Uh, yeah, left teaching uh, and his minister at my home church. Um, yeah, so that's where I went, was brought up there. Um, not a massive church, but very family orientated. Um, so things like, um, so like my, I say about my dad not not doing church, but as soon as there was a, de a building decorating party or a garden party, my dad would be there mucking in. Um, when I was doing my A-levels, mine and my brother's relationship was quite rocky. Um, and I actually moved in with the minister and his wife and lived with them for six or nine months on and off. Um, so very much a family sort of system at church. Mm. Um, and you mentioned as well, you wanted to go deliberately to another sixth form yes. to have that fresh start. Yep. Again, as much or as little detail as you want, mm -hmm. what was the main driving force behind you wanting to sort of make that decision? At sixth form? Mm. Partly because it was only one bus to get there rather than two, which there was an advantage. Um, but because I'd been at the same school from being seven um, up until 16, I'd been with the same people. Um, it was quite a small school. So when I did my GCSEs, my class was six. There was only six of us. Um, and when I was around 13, 14, I, I had a real personality change. Um, so I was a nice, sweet kid. And then 12, 13 was just not a nice, sweet kid. But it rounded me into the person that I am. But I was always treated as the old me. Um, I was either Martin's brother or Myra's son. Or quite a few teachers at the school went to the same church as me. So I was always treated as the David that I was before. And so going to sixth one where I didn't know anyone was an opportunity for a fresh start. Um, friends that I've got from sixth form are still my friends now. Whereas school friends, well, I don't really have any friends from school. So I left that part of my life behind um, just because it was nice to just be the new me um, who eventually felt confident enough in his faith after the first year of A-levels to then tell his friends <laughs> and then start going to each other's churches um, and things like that. So, yeah. And again, a very Christian approach, I think, sort of moving out of a comfort zone where it would perhaps be easier to stick with what you know but actually pushing yourself to try something new. Oh, I have no clue how I did it. As a 16-year-old with, like, I'm an in, introverted extrovert, or is it the other way around? Anyway, I wasn't a very confident person, so to go to a new school where I'd gone from six in my class to like 200 was terrifying. Um, and I don't know how I did it, but definitely set me up for lots of new opportunities where I don't know anyone because I'm like, if I could do it at 16, I could do it now. And that's why I love just talking to people. It's the sort of person that I am now. Um, once I have to give myself a bit of a kick to talk to people I don't know, but I just remind myself of what, what he did for me doing it at that age and what doors that can open. And that's a blessing as well. I mean, from our interactions with you, you've always been a very outgoing person, very chatty, and I think that's had a, a really positive impact there. Yeah, so that feeds into your youth work, doesn't it? Yeah. When you, you've gone through those experiences, mm -hmm. you've, you've had a Christian upbringing, yep. perhaps a little bit of a moment in there, yep. going to a new school at 16. Yeah. That feeds into how you relate to young people. Yeah, massively. And from like 16 to, well, even to now, um, life goes steady and then there's a curveball, you know, that really, really tests your faith. And I've had moments where I've fallen away from church at uni, sort of just the pressure of uni life and things like that. I stopped going to church for a while, um, got married, and then I got married at 23, had my son at 24, and then at 25, uh, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Um, 
and that was just a massive curveball naturally um but it was enough another opportunity for me to look at all the things that had happened to point me in the direction of where I am now um and that's sort of very nicely where CP fits in for me we've always said about Centennial Project that it's it's a family slightly dysfunctional <laughs> um in terms of you get the aunts and uncles that you might not see very often but you get on with occasionally um crazy crazy cat lady you know that those sorts of mixes name names family yeah <laughs> oh no couldn't possibly you have had stefan so you know i'll let you work that out and who fits that category um but the cp family for me really showed at that time um when when i went through all my cancer treatment and everything because there were people going through day-to-day -day jobs that i do but praying for me every step of the way and there were other people you know everywhere in churches and things praying for me and it was great um, but knowing that my job tied in with my personal life, tied in with my family life, tied in with my faith, sort of just brought everything together where I was like, do you know what? With all these people, God's got me. Um, and those people were put in the right place at the right time, sort of thing. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? So we jumped a little bit there. Let's just yeah. jump back to uni. Oh, no. S Okay, <laughs> let's definitely jump back to uni. <laughs> Finished at sixth form, and yep. you decided to stay in Sheffield for your uni. Um, eventually, yes. So my plan was to go and do teaching. Yes. Um, I was going to go to Hull University, right. the Scarborough campus. Ooh. I was going to live by the sea. Oh. It was going to be great. Um, and then, yeah, I failed one of my A-levels. Um, so I ended up staying in Sheffield. Lived at home for the first year, um, and then moved into student accommodation for the rest of them. And was that a good time for you at Hallam? Yeah. Yeah, massively. So living at home for the first year was because I chickened out of moving into accommodation. Um, but it was a great opportunity to set me up like financially to live at, live at home, pay my parents minimal rent. Um, I worked through uni as well. So I had quite a good sort of grounding. But again, I lived the flat I was living with. It was just behind the train station in Sheffield um, on Norfolk Road. And I was living in a top floor flat and the bungalow behind in the car park was where my now wife was living uh, for her uni. So she came to Sheffield to do her master's with the idea being it's only a year's degree. We've done three years long distance. Uh, if if this relationship really doesn't work, I can go back to Scotland and I'll be fine. Sort of thing. Um, but having, having my girlfriend in the flat behind, um, my best mate at the time started going out with someone in the same flat as my girlfriend. So we ended up being like these two couples that would just do everything together at uni and we'd we'd go away together. We'd go down to each other's churches to help for holiday clubs. So it, everything sort of tied in again. Um, had a few bumps on the road at uni where I failed like some big assignments and I had to work hard to redo them. Um, quite a few nights out that I might not remember all the details of. Um <laughs> Back in, being back at uni um but yeah again made some great relationships um and friendships at uni that that i still have now um yeah so that journey that you went to mm -hmm. married then yep. the the cancer diagnosis yep. how did um, i don't know how much you want to talk about that no, but that's fine. fine so how did that work its way through in in a young married man early 20s yeah. working around yeah, youth yeah. and young people. Yeah. That's a heck of a, a moment. It is. And I think to, if I could just summarize it, it, it's just given me an amazing witness opportunity. And I know that sounds really like cheesy because at the time it really wasn't. 
Um, but it's something that makes me relatable to young people. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm thankful for having the cancer, but I'm thankful for the situations and the fact, you know, that I'm still here as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dealing with that throughout like the first year of my son's life um, was was hard. It really was at the time. There was moments where you just had this argument with God of like, you know, why why have you done this to me? Was I really that bad? Um, at uni, did I really make these big mistakes that now you're punishing me? Um, you know, why have you given me um, a wife and a son if I'm not going to be here? And all those sorts of things. And it, yeah, it was a horrible time. Um, but very thankful for the people, again, that God put in, in place. Even the the people, things like, you know, the GP, because he was a newly qualified GP and thought, oh, I don't really need to do anything about this, but I'm not sure, so I'll send you for a test just in case. And if he hadn't, then who knows where it would have been. Um, but it was a, a whirlwind nine months from being diagnosed, having surgery, having radiotherapy, to then getting the all clear. And in August, I was five years out of remission. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, you know, congratulations. Yeah. And Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, a huge thing you went through, and you mentioned mm -hmm. how faith sustained you, mm -hmm. people sort of sustained you. Mm -hmm. So that moment then when you were given the all clear must mm -hmm. have been such a, a huge relief for you. Yeah, if I'm honest, I don't remember it <laughs> um, in terms of the moment of, of being told that because once you've sat in one empty room in a hospital waiting for someone to come in and tell you news, they all sort of blur, blur together. Um, I remember the biggest thing after was, I don't know if it was the realisation or just bad memory or, or what, that I'd never actually been had, had adult baptism. So in my, in my home church and in, in things, it was, um, you know, you're dedicated as a, as a baby to, to the church and to the family, and then you make a decision when you're older for a, for a full immersion. And I had this realisation that, I'd, oh, I missed that bit. Life was just so busy. Um, and so I remember it might have been a year after, or in that year, um, I had a conversation with, with my church about it, and me and my wife ended up then being baptised at the same time um, because she hadn't. Um, and I don't know if it was sort of God saying, you know, you, you've not done this this public declaration of faith, which is what, what it is, um, for whatever reason. But actually, I've been able to do it after that story. Um, part of that service is like you stand up and you share your testimony. Yeah. And it made my testimony so much more interesting. Because um, up until that point, it was really boring. Um, I'd not had that sort of key moment where I felt God had turned my life around. It had sort of been an, an always their journey sort of thing but that was a real moment where i was like god's brought me through this while we really can you know do anything um and i have to remind myself of that all the time and share that testimony with others oh, i mean massively. we're grateful you have with us massively. but i imagine there's probably youth ministry at that oh yeah yeah with others too. yeah they they never quite remember the bits you want them to remember um so when i we did a series with my young people about testimony um, and the idea of just sharing your life story because a lot of my volunteers aren't Christians but it was the point of view of well that's fine but share with these young people why you even though you don't believe in God why do you give up time to help at a church youth group so I think everyone's got a story and God links into that somewhere whether you know it or not um, they don't quite remember the bits you want them to so I wanted them to remember you know the fact that I was really ill and God saved me and God will save you they remember the whole smoking in an alleyway at 14 because that's the bit that I told them about to prove I was relatable. Um, they remember that bit. 
but no massively it's, and it's it's something that affects you know everyone knows someone that's been through or going through a journey of ill health and so to come out the other side and actually be like of course it was the doctors and everyone that that you know worked hard on me but ultimately it was god and i had those moments where i wasn't sure whether i'd be around my surgery whilst I was told that the form of cancer I had was the best kind you can have in terms of it had the highest success rate of recovery, the surgery had masses of complications. I remember signing sheets and sheets of paper um, with like, best case scenario, you wake up fine. Worst case scenario, you can't speak um, because of the sort of surgery around your vocal cords and all those sorts of things. Um, So I just remind my young people that every day, it sounds cheesy, but every day I can say good morning to someone is a massive blessing because I might not have been able to say that. And every time I, you know, eat a nice big pizza, I'm very thankful because I wouldn't, might not have been able to do that if my surgery hadn't gone well. And so just reminding young people that, you know, even in the day-to-day, God's, God's got it. Um, you know, we, we talk about the, the fact that God's got a plan for you and God knows, God knows your name and he knows your plan before you do. But actually, that I know that's true because I've seen it. In, in action. But also the importance of that is to say, it doesn't always go well here. Mm. You know, we, we evangelical service circles that we've moved at in the past may not have always given that impression. Mm-hmm. But to have a, a story that's talking to young people saying, and actually this happened and it yeah, didn't yeah. go well. I was just married. I just had a small yeah, child. Yeah. And this is the reality of life. Yeah, yeah. Even though God's brought me through that, mm-hmm. it doesn't always go well. No, but that doesn't diminish who God is. No, not at all. And and the whole, you've got it. He's he's got you, even in yeah those rough times. You you have a plan. Doesn't doesn't work out how you think it's gonna. Um, and that that resonates with young people a lot. Um, in 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 a variety of ways, just because that you spend your whole time at school having your future mapped out for you, in terms of you need to pass this exam to then do this study to then do this. And actually, it might not go that way, but don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really important story to tell, isn't it? And powerful as well. I mean, especially given those different scenarios mm. of, you know, big extremes of how, you know, the operation could have gone out. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's that being thankful, isn't it, for what for Definitely. you have, whatever you sort of go through. Definitely. And I forget that. I'm human. Um, but every time I forget, I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, I haven't said thank you to God today um, for you know, opening my eyes in the morning to the kids that I've got at home, my job, the people that God puts in my in my path, and yeah, all those sorts of things. Dave, that's a great testimony, a great story. Thanks so much for being able to share that with us. Thank it's you. really, really fantastic. So we will come on to books that are on your bed. <laughs> There's there some heavy tones. That was a Ben. That was a Ben style gear change where, there. So I'm so sorry about that. Go in a completely different direction yeah. as well. No. So as a fact, thanks for that. So much for that no, story. It's really, really interesting Absolutely. and and a great testimony to to you and your family and your faith, but also to God. And mm, that's fantastic. Definitely. Yeah. So around your life then, so you've got a young family, have, yeah. busy at church, you're busy yeah. at work. I know what it's like in those situations. You haven't got lots of time for loads of other yeah. stuff. But what is it on a Saturday night, a film that you watch or do you, uh, where are we at? <laughs> so at the minute, I've, I've only just got onto it. I'm about 10 years behind, but I've just got into Grey's Anatomy. Wow. I and I've actually watched, watched and confessed this because I, I don't have free time. Okay. However, 
I have watched 10 seasons since mid-December. <laughs> and you're not even halfway through, that's are you? That's setting it on so, speed dial. Yeah, that's having it on in the background when I'm doing other things, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm a bit late to the pie on Grey's Anatomy. Okay, so there's not much else you've watched other than that, probably. No, it tends to be my default. Yeah, I've, had, I've had moments with, so I love Game of Thrones yeah. and Harry Potter and things, but at the minute it's, it's Grey's Anatomy on in the background all the time. Yeah, we're just watching one day. Um, the that's just come onto Netflix. So do you know that? No, this is a joke in my family if I say this. So already my kids are throwing <laughs> things at the podcast if they listen in. But yeah, so I'll talk about it later. But that's well, I, well, I do a gear change. So I'm watching Grandchester at the moment, which is a more serious tone. But then I'll go to Brooklyn Nine-Nine after. So. Yeah, you read Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dave, what are you reading at the moment? Nothing. <laughs> that's the answer I prepared. Nothing. Uh, I'm not a big reader. Um... And as I said, I was really stressed about this question. My wife said I should obviously say the Bible. Because that goes without saying. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously, Jesus um, is always the answer in Sunday yeah. school. Yeah. Um, at the minute, Peppa Pig is most of the books that I read to my, to my two-year-old daughter. Yeah. Um, she's, she's Peppa Pig obsessed. Um, but the only <laughs> there's only two books that I ever remember fully reading as an adult. And one was while my wife was in labor. It was a long process. It was very hard for me. Um, and it was the new Harry Potter. Was it The Cursed? Oh, The Cursed Child. Cursed Child. Oh, wow. Okay. That, which is the, like the screenplay yeah, version, yeah. which is quite hard to read. Yeah. Um, and then the only other book I've ever read, ever read is um, Cheryl Cole's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you I'd change the tone of the podcast. If you'd said What's Cheryl... her name now? Is she st- what is she called now? I'm just, not just sure. Cheryl. Just Cheryl yeah. now. It's Twig, was it? No, we're, we're on first term. First okay. name basis. Just Cheryl. If you'd said Cheryl Crow, I would have had a bit more respect <laughs> for... Yeah, Cheryl Cole's autobiography. What about music then? Oh. Nah, I thought we might go here. Oh no, this is where it gets even worse. You're a big Cheryl Cole fan? Uh, saying that. <laughs> so my Christmas present from my wife is to go see Girls Aloud. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not helping myself here. That's a gear change again. I'm, I'm channeling my inner like 16 year old girl uh, with that. No, um, oh gosh. Don't say Ed Sheeran, please don't. No. Old school music would be things like Paramore. Okay, that's all right. Fallout Boy, those sorts of. Oh, Take me back that. to my uni days. I can see that young Dave. Yeah, yeah, you... with a long sweeping fringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly, slightly more black than you're wearing now, probably. Yeah. Hayley Williams is a Christian, isn't she? Lead singer of Paramore. Is she? I believe so. Yeah. That's new information. Oh. I thought you'd be like, "Oh, that's why I listen to Paramore." Yeah, but... Totally. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Things like that. Um... I suspect there's nursery rhymes on in the car now, yeah. isn't there? Peppa yeah. Pig's being played on the Spotify all the time. Yeah. And. Um... Oh, what's it on the minute? Dis- Descendant, Disney Descendants, oh Dis- films. Oh right. Um, of like the children of all the evil villains from fairy tales and things. Oh wow. Um, it's like High School Musical sort of vibes. Yeah. And this songs on there that I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite liking at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're on, they're on in the car as well. Um, and, and I, do, I do love worship music, but that's that's an obvious sort of yeah thing to say, of course. Throw football in there? Are you a football fan at all? No, he's not. No, I knew that. <laughs> Paul answered the question. You told me that the other day because I started to. Talk I mean, to I you did about say football. that I was reading Cheryl Cole's books. I don't think football's really up there somehow, <laughs> but. <laughs> I thought you'd said to me the other day, no, no I'm not, no, I'm not into having a mum that was 
and is very football orientated. Yeah, because she was a football teacher at school. Yeah, and she used to play for for Sheffield Wednesday Ladies. Uh, very good. Wow. Fantastic. It was back then, yeah. Yeah. So now she had two boys that then hated football. So I have promised that my daughter will love football. Yeah. Just it's got like skip a generation yeah, each yeah. time sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. There's so many more sports opportunities out there now, isn't there, than when my kids were, yeah, it was like boys football and then girls just was so I mean, yeah, there's, the, there's the Nintendo Switch. I mean, you could play golf on there. Yeah. I mean, what more could you opportunities want? are endless. What more could you want? <laughs> we had to play rugby at seven and eight. Our head of PE was a big rugby fanatic, which I hated playing because of, yeah, just as wasn't the right build because we had quite a few people who were well built and strong, and going into a scrum just never came off. No. Better. I don't know whether there's many listeners out there from Lantanum Comprehensive. I don't suppose there is, but our our PE teacher was Terry Cobner, who was captain of Wales at the time, rugby captain of Wales and British Lion. So he was like to you know twelve year old Welsh boys who were like having a god as your PE teacher. So yeah, <laughs> and. Um, Stuart Harrison, who was my cricket teacher, played cricket for Glamorgan as well. So we were very well. And, and a big shout out to Stuart, who I met a few years ago again, who gave me my absolute love of cricket. Let me open the school team when, when at a very young age. It was fantastic. But yeah, we had a very... Terry Cobner as, as a rugby teacher was just like, was just, you know, just extraordinary to have that. Because those, those days, PE teach, you know, you, you captain Wales on a weekend and you worked in the PE department in the week. It was no... Anyway... Friend of the podcast as well. Terry Cobner. <laughs> <laughs> He's been the uh, Welsh RFU now, I think, quite senior. So, I'd, yeah, I haven't spoken to him for a long time. He was a- Just to finish as well, um, we did say off mic as well about um, we were part of the hot chocolate team, weren't we? At the um, yes. commendation evening. I itself. believe in miracles. That, not that hot chocolate. No. Okay. Started with a kiss. <laughs> See, I did get the reference. I was, um, I was about to say this before my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the same age, though. I know. You didn't help me there. No. Um, yeah, that's, that was for the end of the Bishop's Badge competition. Yes. Way say fortnight. Um, we were, in a good way, rushed off our feet, weren't we? With the... Yes, I've never known it takes so many church house staff to make hot chocolates before. But we, six of us, weren't there? But we had, a, we had a system. I had the teas and coffees just on my own, which was quite good because everyone wanted hot chocolate. So I was, I was all right in the corner. Um, but yeah, that was another example of just a great opportunity to bring some children and young people together. Um, so the whole uh, Way Faith Fortnite and badge competitions, one of my young people uh, got a commendation that night for her badge. Um, and yeah, and it was nice to do something like with other church house staff as well, being able to serve sort of a different part of church house life that we wouldn't necessarily Definitely. Do that was before. Rather a minister, wasn't it? And it was. This is the bingo card moment because Hannah was a key part. I know where you pay for. I take that bingo card, everybody. We might release some actually. I think we yeah. might. We might. Yeah, we might do some words of grace bingo cards with stuff that we think, and then we have some suggestions, and then people can tick them during the podcast. Another one I thought of for you is when you say, "Did the young Dave ever imagine that years <laughs> later he would be doing this?" Oh, thanks. Yeah. Young David in this case. Young David, yes. sorry. Yes, David, yeah. it's been so good. To, Thank you to be with you. Thank you. Um, Thanks so much for listening in the past and thanks so much for being here today. And thanks so much for the work that you do amongst young, with young people and children across the diocese. Uh, it's just a fantastic thing to do. So well done, you. Thank and you. The, and the testimonies you've given from yeah. that, especially for your journey through um, mm. illness and recovery as well. That's, um, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Well, we better say goodbye to the listener then, Ben. Indeed. A reminder, do, do rate us, do uh, send in questions. Yeah, send in um, questions. Feedback. And, uh, we've got some great guests lined up, actually. The next few weeks, we've got a lot of guests and, um, from a range of backgrounds, so I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks of podcasts. Absolutely. There's more specials coming up. Yes. More trips out. Sheffield yeah. Cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. OBs. OBs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Nice to see you, Ben. You too. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Cheers, bye.